I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The CEO of Uber recently said the company could start delivering weed if it's decriminalized at the federal level. And Uber drivers were like, right, we're going to start delivering weed. When you say so. As soon as you say so, we're going to start <laughs> distributing drugs. But when you tell us when, because we're making a fine living now. We don't need to do stuff like that. That's funny. Wow. Jimmy, I, I'm totally unaware of that. Me, me too. Uh, Jimmy Fallon, who I don't know what his lifestyle is now, is you know, a guy in his 40s with kids and married, but I, a younger, he was the stoner. I mean, that was his whole thing. Right. And, well, I'm uh, sure he has plenty of young staffers yeah. there at the Fallon Show that keep him hip to uh, what's happening. I remember him being on Larry King many years ago when he was an early 20-something, and he was so stoned that entire interview. It was it was embarrassing for him just because he had, like, he'd just giggle and gave the same answer every time Larry asked him a question. He's mm-hmm. on there with the whole cast. But anyway, so that, that's interesting. So Jimmy is uh, 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 suggesting... That a lot of Uber drivers are delivering weed now. And if they don't, they might know somebody who does. Right. I, uh, I, yes. had, a, I had a situation the other day where I uh, I needed a ride because I got a flat tire. And uh, I was dropping the tire off. And so I needed an Uber ride to my house. But I also needed a pizza. And the pizza place was right across <laughs> the street. You're a man with many needs. The pizza was right across the street from where the tire place was that we regularly have Uber Eats deliver. And I thought, why can't I have Uber Eats deliver that pizza and I ride with the pizza guy? Is there any reason why I can't do that and oh. somehow get a discount or for free or I'll climb in the trunk? Why do I have to pay Uber Eats driver and Uber driver to take two things from the same location to the same location? Right. They got to come up with a way to fix that. <laughs> 
hungry Uber for people who need a ride and food. I don't know if it'd be better to have the people car. Probably be better to have the me and the people car holding the pizza in my lap yes, than to clearly. be to climb in the trunk of the little tiny car with the pizzas. But Right, and keep the pot in the glove compartment. <laughs> I'll do whichever. So, a quick on-air meeting. I'm looking at the stuff we were going to talk about, and it's very good. It's very important. It has to do with uh, lives matter and critical race theory and the rest of it. And the Patrice Con colors is clearly, uh, according, well, I'm going to quote uh, a gent who was interviewing Jason Whitlock. He called her a grifter, meaning a con woman. So we have that. But, Jack, you brought my attention to this uh, open letter written by a New York City teacher. Mm-hmm. We're damaging kids with critical race theory. It is amazing, troubling, eloquent, heartfelt, and important. I don't know if we can do anything better than to read the damn thing. It's it's pretty long. He mentions in there that he might be uh, losing his job or ending his career by doing this, but he thought it was important enough to point it out. Yeah, I I just there's part of me that wants everybody in America to read it, and and the best thing we could do is to share it with you. I and I haven't had a chance to highlight it, but the problem is, and sometimes I run into this, it is so brilliant you end up highlighting the whole thing, right? And all you've done is drained your highlighter. <laughs> so uh, I will I will hit you with a couple of things, then maybe we'll start in it, take a break, and and continue it. It's that good. But so the website for the global consulting firm owned and operated by Black Lives Matter Global Network co-founder Patrice Con Cullors went offline this weekend after news of her real estate buying binge uh, went viral. And uh, the New York Post, among others, were uh, covering that. Uh, Con Cullors, self-described trained Marxist, buying millions of dollars worth of real estate for homes across the U.S. for a total of $3.2 million. Now, that is a story that was banned by Twitter even though it is clearly true. Jason Whitlock, black man, sports columnist, although he's much more than a sports columnist. He's really a commentator on American society and sports. He tweeted about this story, and Twitter removed it and uh, locked him out of his account. Now, is there something missing from this story? Because if those are the only facts, Twitter has crossed a line to advocacy that is beyond anything they've done before. Uh, at least there was you could you could say well okay the 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 president uh, stoked the storming of the capitol and we don't want that but mm-hmm. how do you justify n- n- well it's pretty hard to justify the hunter biden laptop story how do you justify not letting the world know that people running black lives matter are taking some of the money it looks like in buying million dollar homes <laughs> well at the very least and listen patrice con colors Putting aside the fact that I think her philosophy is incredibly corrosive, dangerous, and racist, she now has a giant deal with, like, Warner Brothers and, is it HBO or somebody? She's making tons of money. She's the world's richest Marxist. That reminds me of that. She's rolling in dough from capitalism. That reminds me of the great line from Bloomberg. Like, the only thing he accomplished during his, uh, his run for president was getting Bernie out, which was his only goal. But during the debate when he said, boy, for a socialist, you have... And he pointed out the however many homes he has at how many million dollars and that sort of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, that's that's strange. It's funny. Uh, a Marxist system where the elite get rich. That's no, that's not strange at all. It's all of them. It's it's like saying a dog has fur. It's just self-evident. It's always true. Where's Wake our up. Vin Scully? Huh? 
Where is Vin Scully when you the, need Who's him? the second richest person in Venezuela? Hugo Chavez's daughter. daughter of Hugo Chavez. Anyway. Huh. Anyway. Socialism failing to work as it always does, this time in Venezuela. You talk about giving everybody something free and all of a sudden there's no food to eat. And who do you think is the richest person in Venezuela? The daughter of Hugo Chavez. Hello. Hello. Anyway, 0-2. That's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> if I'm in a room. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Anyway, 0-2. I'm in a room full of people. Maybe it's 75 people. And I say, I tell you what, I got this idea. All of you give me your money, and then I'll hand it out fairly. All 75 people in that room are going to say, wait a minute. How do we know we can trust you? How do we know you're not going to take some of it or all of it or, or use it for your own purposes? How do we know that these three guys aren't your best friends and you're going to give it more to them because they're your buddies? Well, of course we'd all react like that. It's obvious and it's right. But when the government proposes it, anybody under 35 gets all dewy-eyed or aroused and thinks, oh, yes, that's the way to do it. That's the way to bring justice. You people are stupid. You know what? It's time to take the varnish off, to unvarnish something. Time to strip the... Can I have a second take? (laughs) It's time to drop the phony baloney politeness and say it. If you fall for Marxism, you're freaking stupid. Anyway. All right. Anyway. Anyway. Oh, and two. Oh, and two. Probably going to waste a pitch here. So I want to get to that incredibly eloquent uh, teacher's letter talking about critical race theory. It's just wonderful. We'll tweet it. We'll post it at armstrongandgetty.com. Send it to your friends. Send it to your enemies. Send it to your children. It'll annoy them, but send it anyway. Stay tuned. We'll share that with you next. Anyway, Owen to. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I had to check out an ad I just saw on TV. It uh, featured Kevin Bacon floating on an air mattress in a pool. Uh, how, do, how do I not turn up the volume to see what that's all about? Mm. Just making a joke about six degrees of me. And how if you sign up with this phone company, it'll be 12 degrees of everyone or something. But All right. Excellent. It's kind of a funny uh, idea. Uh, they say that when um, a dog bites a man, that's not news. But when dog bites man, that's news. When man bites dog? When man bites dog, that's news. Apparently, I've got a story that's uh, not news because a dog bit me last night. But I do, oh want, my. I do want to tell that story coming up. Okay. We are going to read something a little longer than we generally do. Um uh, on this show, partly because Paul Rossi, who's a school teacher in New York City, is uh, an eloquent and uh, important voice, and he's committing career suicide. And he knows he is, probably, by writing this. He says, I am a teacher at Grace Church High School in Manhattan. He explains how he got into teaching. He is really into it. As a teacher, my first obligation is to my students, but right now my school is asking me to embrace anti-racism training and pedagogy that I believe is deeply harmful to the kids and to any person who seeks to nurture the virtues of curiosity, empathy, and understanding. Anti-racism training sounds righteous, but it is the opposite of truth in advertising. It requires teachers like myself to treat students differently on the basis of race. 
Furthermore, in order to maintain a united front for our students, teachers at our school are directed to confine our doubts about this framework to conversations with an in-house Office of Community Engagement for whom every significant objection leads to a foregone conclusion. Any doubting students are likewise challenged to reframe their views to conform to this orthodoxy. Meaning no, uh, uh, they will brook no uh, disagreement or any doubt. My school, like so many others, induces students via shame and sophistry, which means false arguments, to identify primarily with their race before their individual identities are even fully formed. Students are pressured to conform their opinions to those broadly associated with their race and gender and to minimize or dismiss individual experiences that don't match those assumptions. Meaning everybody of a particular color has to think alike. That is so crazy. And if you had experience that is different than this, you you could put that aside. Trust me. You need to shut up. Right. The morally compromised status of oppressor is assigned to one group of students based on their immutable characteristics. In the meantime, dependency, resentment, and moral superiority are cultivated in students considered oppressed. All of this is done in the name of equity, but it is the opposite affair. In reality, all of this reinforces the worst impulses we have as human beings. Our tendency toward tribalism and sectarianism that a truly liberal education is meant to transcend. Now listen to this guy's experience. and Because I think we're all familiar with the theoretical arguments, but... Or at least I hope you are. Recently, I raised questions about this ideology at a mandatory whites-only student and faculty Zoom meeting. Such racially segregated sessions are now commonplace at my school. That's unbelievable. That is unbelievable. That in the year 2021, that is occurring. Wow, we're going segregation. We are going backwards. It was a bait and switch self care seminar that labeled that labeled objectivity, individualism, and fear of open conflict, and even a right to comfort as characteristics of white supremacy. Again, you're a white supremacist if you believe in objectivity. You're a white supremacist if you believe in individualism. You're a racist for believing in individualism. Hmm. I doubted that these human attributes, many of them virtues, reframed as vices, should be racialized in this way. In the Zoom chat, I also questioned whether one must define oneself in terms of racial identity at all. My goal was a model for students that they should feel safe to question ideological assertions if they felt moved to do so. It seemed like my questions broke the ice. Students and even a few teachers offered a broad range of questions and observations. Many students said it was finally a more productive and substantive discussion than they expected. However... When my questions were shared outside this forum, violating the school norm of confidentiality, I was informed by the head of the high school that my philosophical challenges had, get this, caused harm to students. Given that these topics were life and death matters about people's flesh and blood and bone, I was reprimanded for acting like an independent agent of a set of principles or ideas of beliefs. I was told that by doing so, I failed to serve the greater good and the higher truth. In other words, he was a counter-revolutionary. Stuff's straight out of Mao, Chairman Mao, straight out of the Soviet Union. He further informed me that I had created dissonance for vulnerable and uninformed thinkers and neurological disturbance in students' beings and systems. The school's director of studies added that my remarks could even constitute harassment. Oof. 
A few days later, the head of school ordered all high school advisors to read a public reprimand of my conduct out loud to every student in the school. Now, Jack, if, student of history, if, would you like to take over? If here? that is not the cultural revolution in China circa 1967, I don't know what is. That is unbelievable. Likewise, the show trials of the Soviet Union, wow. in which you were forced at gunpoint to read aloud a statement, helpfully written by others, of your sins and cra- counter-revolutionary uh, activities. That's incredible. At which point you were either shot dead or thrown in a gulag. So again, every teacher was ordered to read a public rec- reprimand of his conduct, which was asking constructive questions, I might remind you. It was a surreal experience, he writes, walking the halls alone and hearing the words emitting from each classroom, quote, events from last week compel us to underscore some aspects of our mission and share some thoughts about our community. At our schools with their history of white populations, racism, etc., uh, we must work hard to undo this history. Now, and he mentions that, of course, there's there have been problems, there's been racism, there have been fights, etc. And bias can influence relationships, all true. But addressing such problems with a call to undo history lacks any kind of limiting principle and pairs any allegation of bigotry with a priori guilt, meaning assumed guilt. My own contract for next year, he writes, requires me to, quote, participate in restorative practices designed by the Office of Community Engagement in order to heal my relationships with the students of color and other students in my classes. And he says, well, what do you mean participate in restorative practices? They said, we'll tell you after you sign. So you have to heal something and you're not allowed to say, I don't think there's any healing needed. I don't think I've. I'm not wrong. I still believe I'm right. No. Or he'll be fired if he doesn't sign. I asked my uncomfortable students in the self-care meeting. um, I asked my questions, rather, because I felt a duty to my students. I wanted to be a voice for the many students of different backgrounds who have approached me over the course of the past several years to express their frustration with the indoctrination at our school, but are afraid to speak out. They report that in their classes and other discussions, they must never challenge any of the premises of our anti-racist teachings, which are deeply informed by critical race theory, as we know. These concerns are confirmed when I attend grade level and school meetings about race and gender issues. You can't even ask questions. I keep flashing back to the presidential debate. The The only time this came up as a topic when the moderator, Chris Wallace, clearly didn't really know what he was talking about. President Trump knew the most on the stage, uh, but wasn't up to speed. And Joe Biden had no clue whatsoever what critical race theory actually is and what they're actually teaching in schools. And we're teaching in the government, but Trump banned it, but Biden's bringing it back. It's, it's racist indoctrination into the new Marxism. It functions just the same as the Marxists did and the Maoists did. It substitutes race for class, but then tries to tear down history, tries to cancel culture, tries to 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 eliminate the very culture you grew up with to replace it with a brave new culture under the command of the enlightened. It's exactly like communism in the 20th century. They just changed some of the words. And one of the frustrations is I don't think Joe Biden would be in agreement with this, but he doesn't even understand it's happening. And so it's winning the day. It's very frustrating. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. 
Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. According to a new study, eating dinner together as a family without cell phones may help reduce obesity because you're going to want to get out of there as soon as possible. Okay, I'm full. Goodbye. That's interesting. No cell phones was a rule at our table. Uh, I mean, I can't can't imagine allowing that. Yeah, no way. And if you do, stop now. Now. Huh. Um, um, dog uh, bit me at the dog park. So Sorry I need to, to talk, talk about that. Just, you know, overarching questions around that. Uh, what was the other thing I wanted to tease? Um, well, I will tell you this. We've gone uh, fairly big on a couple of things already this morning and probably ought to touch on them again, including oh, yeah. the suspension of the J&J vaccine and how so much of the reporting is absolutely fact-free. It's idiotic. If you look at the math, it is. Uh, it seems crazy to me that they're suspending the J and J vaccine at all. And a lot of the again, the reporting is terrible. Uh, Tucker Carlson has a theory that the numbers must be much worse than they're admitting. Yeah, his that's theory why is suspending it's, it. his theory is last night was it's so crazy to suspend it 
over the level they've revealed, it's got to be worse than they're claiming. Because if you don't know this, right now, they it's possible that one in a million people had a problem for the vaccine. And we don't even know that. Right. And, and again, it's correlation, not causation. Nobody is yeah. actually drawn any significant line, a serious line between getting the vaccine and having the problem because that clotting problem is not unknown. It's rare, but I'd say one in 1.3 million is rare. But even if it was causation, it's one in a million and they didn't die, whereas so far with the COVID, one out of 600 Americans has died from COVID. Right. And that number is going, you know, that number will be getting smaller. The 600 will be getting smaller. So it's not even close on the math. Right. Right. Of whether Literally it makes sense. do the math. So I don't know. I, I don't think Tucker's right. I think it's just a stupid overreaction from people who overreact on a, a regular basis. Well, and from the beginning, the messaging on this thing has been lowest common denominator dumb. And this is more <laughs> dumb messaging. We also talked about how Dante Wright, the uh, the man who was shot in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, the warrant out for his arrest, which was widely reported as a a minor firearms violation, I actually heard that said on if CNN. They, if they mentioned it at all, a it was lot a of firearms s- violation. Yeah, it was a firearms violation. He stuck his gun in a woman's face and robbed her. He was a wanted armed robber. So if the cops seemed a little tense when he fought him and tried to escape, that's why. Yeah, a lot of news stories don't even mention that. They just say he was pulled over for having expired tags and was shot and killed. Okay, you're leaping over a few things there. Well, please welcome the race war Uh, brought on by the media. He should not have been shot. We got to throw that in every time. That was a that they didn't that woman didn't intend to shoot him. She was trying to tase him, but they did have reason to scuffle with him and try to get him under arrest. Absolutely, beyond a doubt. Yeah, Uh, this is breaking news. This just happened. Christopher Ray, the guy who runs the FBI, is testifying before Congress right now, and he just said every 10 hours, the FBI opens an investigation into China. Every 10 hours. And they wow. have more than 2,000 current investigations tied to the Chinese government. That is something. Man, it is on between us and China. I was yeah. listening to a good podcast yesterday from a, from a guy I respect. Um, talking to another a journalist who specializes in China and says, we are at war with China. If you're going to use any broad definition of war, that is, you know, the preparation for a shooting war, they are, they are doing it now. Building military bases, building up their military, getting it in, in, into position, getting the economic, uh, leverage that they need, getting the, um, uh, the, we, we got a podcast. We're going to play clips of uh, semiconductors that they need. They are at, they have been at war with us for a long time. At some point, we should recognize that. I think we are increasingly. I hope so. It's it's the Cold War all over again, though, to, to a large extent. I mean, obvious differences, but it feels kind of familiar for those of us of a certain generation. Ah, superpower that we could obliterate each other any minute or get into a scuffle in some corner of the globe every second, and it remains to be seen who wins. Yep, feels familiar. The Ponzi scheme is named after a guy named Ponzi. Hey, sit on it. Uh, Ponzi, who came up with this idea of, uh, you know, you take somebody's money and then... (laughs) You use somebody else's money, and then you keep building on this pyramid until it collapses. They could name it the Madoff scheme from here on out, though, because he was that good at it. He has died at the age of 82. Uh, two things you should know around that. More than $3 billion paid paid out $3 billion paid out to over 30,000 Bernie Madoff victims. I don't know what the total was, though, that he owed. 
But a bunch of people did get paid back, but not all. Yeah, my understanding was that was pennies on the dollar. Mayor de Blasio says Bernie Madoff's death is not a time to dance on a grave. Um, yeah, it is. I don't know why. You it's big not, freaking communist. Unless his point is that we shouldn't be happy about this, we should still feel sad for all the New Yorkers or people around the country who lost their money. I don't know. I'd dance on his grave. I'd whiz on it. I'd do all kinds of things on his grave. If I was in the right situation, you know, burden of Damascus, I might go even further. Oh, wow. You'd actually uh, assume the position on his grave. Huh. Um. So yesterday. Why not? Guys uh, got to go. Uh, on a beautiful evening, just before sunset, heading home to do uh, baths and showers, leaving the park on bicycles. Uh, Sam's on his scooter, so he takes a different way around on the sidewalk. Henry and I cut across the park right at the corner of a dog park. I used to have a dog. I took to dog parks a lot. Sometimes dog parks are like an enclosed place that you can choose to go in there with your dog and be with other dogs. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're just a section of a park. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Well, I've not run into that. Oh, How interesting. I, I've been to lots of dog parks that are just a portion of the beach is the dog park, or a portion of the park is the dog park, but there's nothing separating the dogs from anybody else. And, and I've known this forever, because I used to be a dog park guy. I'm not anymore, because I live out in the country, and my dogs get plenty of exercise running around our acreage. But um, We're newly minted dog park people. Yeah, when I had a dog and I didn't have uh, you know a farm for him to run around on, I took him to the dog park, because if you got certain breeds or certain aged dogs, you got to get them a lot of exercise. Anyway, it was very clear to me, and always has been, and always will be, that everybody thinks they've got a well-trained dog, and almost nobody does. Almost mm-hmm. everybody thinks their dog is, no, he'll come when I call, or he would never bite anybody, or she would never do this. And then until the moment that they do it. And I just, right. I accepted that years ago and whatever. Well, and I will tell you this. You can have a very well-trained dog, but my buddy Greg, the police dog trainer, has told us the best trained dog in the world will take off after a squirrel, and there's nothing you can do about it. Right. So yeah. just don't don't kid yourself, folks. Yeah. Dogs, when their passions are aroused, they don't they don't hear you. It's not that they're disobeying; they don't yeah. hear you. It doesn't make me mad, really. Uh, I just you know I recognized that a long, long time ago. Everybody thinks their dog they could. <laughs> it's just, I find it hilarious. I don't say anything. I don't even crack a smile. The whole come back here. Uh, poo poo, come back here as they Put run af- down. after as they run after a squirrel or something like that. Mm. Uh, I'll give you a million bucks if your dog turns around in full stride after that squirrel and comes back, all right? Yeah. <laughs> it ain't going to. Give you a hundred to one on a thousand bucks right now. I'm fortunately not scared of dogs because I've never had a negative uh, interaction uh, with a dog like you can as a child, and then you're scared of dogs the rest of your life. Attacked so I, twice by German shepherds Yeah, my I, history. I, and I know people who have, and then for the rest of your life, you're, uh, when you see a dog, because your brain's telling you that could happen. Hey, I don't Michael. You know why they attacked me, those German shepherds? Why? Criticism of Nazi Germany. That's right. They were holdouts. Um, At least that's what I believe. That's right. But anyway, I'm riding bikes past this dog park that I've ridden by, I don't know how many gazillion times, with all kinds of different dogs there. And uh, Henry regularly goes over there and plays with the dogs and talks to the people because he really likes dogs. For whatever reason, the bike set off at least one of the dogs, and then one dog running made the other dogs running. Next thing I know, I got like four dogs chasing me and barking at me. And I didn't really think of anything of it because sometimes dogs just bark at people on bicycles. But this one dog um, clearly looked more worked up at it, about it, and it was uh, like 
chomping, nipping at me, and got up and bit into my, tried to bite onto my leg, Whoa. and bit through my the pant leg of my jeans. Luckily, I was riding at such a brisk pace, because I'm so oh, athletic. Like now, Greg Lemon. My pant leg was flying in the wind, and uh, it put holes through my jeans. Damn. <laughs> yeah, bite holes through my jeans. And I yelled some uh, epithets at the dog, and then he came back at me, and I kicked that dog in the face so hard at such a crack on its muzzle. Oh, nice. Um, I was very happy with that, um, even though it's not really the dog's fault. But, but you were still on your bike. I was still on my bike. Oh, you're and it an was athlete. A, it was a smallish dog, it, it, so I was never really worried. If it had been like a full-size German Shepherd or Pitbull, I would have been worried that it brings me down, and then I'm in a fight with one of these dogs and several others. For your life. Yeah, maybe for my life. And my son's right behind me. Luckily, they went after after me and not him. He was wearing shorts. Oh, it would have been a whole different story. Yeah. I just yelled at the dog, kicked it hard in the face. It yelped and, and ran back, and we ran rode on home. But what would have happened if the dog had bitten my son in the leg? What happens then? Then you figure out whose dog it is, and you report it, and they get. Uh, I, it depends on your county and your town. One do, one bite. Uh, some some counties, I believe, one bite's enough. Your dog is done. Yeah. I suppose through my trousers. That's exactly right. If you had to go to the doctor, I suppose you want the info because their insurance is paying for it. Yeah, plus there have to be rabies tests and stuff like that. It gets hairy, no pun intended. Uh, I'm glad it didn't happen just because, you know, for all kinds of reasons. I'm glad me or my son didn't get hurt, but I just would not have wanted to deal with it. I just wrote on. I didn't even pay any attention. I didn't even look to see what the dog belongs to. What am I going to do? Yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah, back when I was uh, bit a couple of times, I went home and told my parents, and they're like, "Are you doing okay?" I'm like, "Yeah, I seem to be." And that was the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of was. <laughs> it was but a different I, time. I did have a talk with my kids about, you know, don't don't ride your bikes next to the dog park, and dogs do that sometimes because they've had no bad dog experiences, so they're both super open to all dogs, which I'm trying yeah. to, uh, you know, uh, would be the right word, uh, convince them that's not always the best idea. Yeah, I'll let them know the reality. Would you, if you would like me to dress up in a dog costume and bite your children, I would do that for you. <laughs> if he had bitten Henry on the leg, though, and Henry goes, that would have been a bad, ugly situation. Oh yeah, terrible. Henry wrecks, and then all the dogs are there, and that would have been ugly. But yeah, we're trying happen. to we're trying to break Baxter in at the dog park, but uh, partly because of his breed and partly because of his upbringing, a great deal of which uh, took place before he was our dog. He is super protective of us, which is great, especially when I'm traveling for business or whatever. But um, if there's a, like a super energetic dog or a dog he perceives as a threat, he goes full on the, the, vicious. The, the politics of the dog park, which I used to do multiple days a week for years, are just, I mean, because you got dogs like yours. You got the dogs that don't have any protective in- instinct, but they play really rough. Right. So they run and, you know, they all roll and everything like that. But if they do that with a dog like yours or one other dog I had, then that dog's in a fight. And then the other person's mad at you. And every, I mean, it just it, the politics of the dog park are so unpleasant. Yeah, so we, I always hated. I found it so stressful to go. I know. So we luckily the dog park where we go is not terribly well populated, except certain times of the day it seems to be. So you know, if there's somebody there, we just take them for a walk instead. I will say I've spent hundreds of hours at dog parks with thousands of dogs. I've never seen anything really bad happen. Actually, what happened with me yesterday is the worst thing I've ever seen. Hmm. Um, lots of dogs, you know, barking at each other and this and that, and parents looking at each other. But I've never seen anything bad happen. Man, Baxter bears his fangs, his fur goes up. He looks like oh, he's really? going to eat the entire dog whole. 
My old dog yeah. Bart Bogart, God rest his soul. Um, yeah. he uh, he was the fastest dog at every dog park I ever went to, so he never had any problems. He'd get them all worked up and chased him, and then just kind of look back like Usain Bolt. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he bite you though at one point? Bogart? Oh, yeah, that's when I put him down. Yeah, when he was losing his mind. Oh, that's right. He, he tried he had to that neurological me. thing. Yeah. Well, he was very old. and he, yeah. Some dogs, their mind, just like people, their minds go before their bodies. Other dogs you have, you know, their, their minds are fine. They're still your pet, but their bodies give out on them. Jack, when I'm older and a little crazy, oh, are yeah. you going to oh, put yeah. me oh, down? Immediately. <laughs> He's already told me the plan. Yeah. Right, pillow over the face. Sean will hold your arms. <laughs> well, at least I know. At least I don't have to wonder anymore. That's the way to do it. It's the only only peaceful, sensible way. It's good to have a policy. That way you don't have to guess when the time comes. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So, John Boehner's making the rounds with this book. I got a little more from that because I started to read it last night. I'm, I'm finding it pretty interesting, and I'm not really a political memoir sort of guy. You read it after you're taking a nap. Taking a nap. I should have read it drinking red wine and smoking cigarettes. Taking a nap. He always is bleary-eyed like a guy that's had three glasses of wine. I saw yes. him on a Brett Bear yesterday. He looked like he'd had three glasses of wine to me. I believe he's buzzing his way through life. <laughs> Yeah, why not? He probably plays golf at like uh, 10 o'clock in the morning with his buddies. They have a couple of drinks after the round. He keeps it going God, I through should, dinner. I should read the preface or w- whatever part where he talks about meeting Trump for the first time and then playing golf together. And it's really pretty interesting. First of all, the main thing was, now this was years ago, but he kind of expected Trump to be a uh, all talk about golf, and they were on the same team, and Trump birdied three of the first five holes, and he thought, geez, we're going to kill these guys, and they did, mm. that they were playing. So Trump well, you remember real. Trump held up his hands. He said his, his hands can hit a ball 270 yards. Mm. Anyway, uh, speaking of Trump, I remember the term Trump uh, Obama derangement syndrome when uh, Barrack was in the White House. And there was some of it. I mean, there were uh, times conservatives would just uh, knee jerk, reject everything he said and then in the strongest possible terms. And, uh, you know, I just I don't I don't swing that way, although I disagreed with them on practically everything anyway. Uh, but. Trump derangement syndrome made Obama derangement syndrome look like the common cold, where anything Trump said, the minions, the the, the swirling masses of guppies of the mainstream media would just immediately shout as loud as they could that the opposite was true. If Trump had told them Tuesday followed Monday, they would have denied it to the point of absurdity. And one of the uh, greatest and most important examples of this was Trump blaming China for COVID-19. When, well, you know, I'm not going to make the case twice, but um, I will just say that it was at least worthy of serious consideration, no matter who said it. And of all people, CNN's chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, has broken with many of his CNN colleagues, his colleagues that had mocked Former CDC Robert Redfield, when Redfield said, you know, it looks increasingly like the COVID-19 probably came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, that lab in Wuhan we've been talking about. They were mocking. They were cruel. And in an interview with Gupta that aired uh, recently, uh, I'm sorry, with Redfield 
and Gupta, Redfield said, I'm of the point of view that I still think the most likely uh, origin of this pathogen in Wuhan was from a laboratory, laboratory, you know, escaped. Now, other people don't believe that. That's fine. Science will actually figure it out. It's not unusual for respiratory pathogens that are being worked on in the laboratory to infect a laboratory worker. I do not believe this somehow came from a bat to a human. And at that moment in time, the virus came to the human and became one of the most infectious viruses that we know in humanity, etc., etc. The Daily Mail noted CNN commentators sneered at Redfield's opinion, with the network in one tweet insisting there was, quote, a lack of clear evidence for the lab theory. Meanwhile, Dr. Anthony Fauci rushed to throw cold water on the theory, etc., etc. But Gupta told Mediaite in an interview last week, there's reason to suspect this is the origin of the virus. Yeah, I don't. You know, I'm a million miles from an expert on this, but how is it not the most likely explanation? Well, when they asked him about uh, his uh, colleague's treatment of Redfield's theory, and uh, Gupta said he's an experienced virologist. He was also the head of the CDC at the time this was happening, which means that in addition to everything we know, he had access to raw data and raw intelligence that was coming out of China. My point is that it's a it's much more informed sort of thing for him to be saying than for anybody who may have expertise that's an odd sentence, in virology because he has a lot more knowledge and information that he has that maybe he can't share, but informing his opinion. Why would, so, why would China necessarily, well, once you lie, then you got to cover up your lie because then you're admitting you're a liar. That's the problem course, with lying. Yeah. But um, why, why in the beginning couldn't, they must have thought they could, I keep answering my own questions. They must, China, China must have thought they could have covered it up at the beginning and kept it covered up, and they and that turns out it didn't work. Yeah, the, it leaked or, out of the lab. They thought they could clamp down on that area and keep it from getting out. And as you've observed many times, uh, a dictator, whether it be Putin or whatever, for some reason, plausible deniability, even implausible deniability, is useful. Yeah. If you can claim, no, I didn't, on the world stage, that's useful. Because, because it wouldn't have been you know, a horrifying crime to let it escape from your lab. They were doing work that we approve of and have added, and you know, given money to. We financed. We yeah. financed, and... So it's not, you know, it's but then they covered up. up. They refused to give the raw data. They refused to give the uh, the genetic uh, whatever the genome. I got to ask Joe about Trump's handicap from Boehner's book coming up. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event. So give your friends something to look at, like a B and B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. 
And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.